News from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and Danny Gittings is guest presenter. Good morning, Danny. Good morning. On today's programme, we're talking about a campaign to attract medical staff from overseas to work in Hong Kong. Beginning with the United Kingdom this coming weekend, the hospital authority is sending a delegation to certain medical colleges in the UK where many Hong Kong students are studying in the hope of addressing a current shortage of medical personnel at home. And the HA Chief Executive, Tony Koh, will attend an event held by the Hong Kong Medical Society of the United Kingdom on Saturday in London to explain details of how overseas doctors could practice in the SAR. The next day there'll be a recruitment day for medical students, interns and trainees as well as specialists. After 9.45, we're going to be talking about uh, an adoption programme for abandoned exotic pets, including lizards, geckos and turtles. Stay with us for that and you can let us know what you think on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And just before I introduce our, our first guests uh, this morning, have a, a quick uh, email here to read out uh, on yesterday's topic. We were talking about uh, climate change, um, global warming, uh, efforts to mitigate those factors what we can do as individuals and also we also mentioned the earth hour which was staged by wwf on saturday night uh, when lights go off in commercial buildings and um, lo- uh, that campaign's been going since 2007 has a lot of supporters now but uh, richard uh, writes in says uh, all of the above and eat uh, meat far less often eat meat far less often agriculture especially animal agriculture is a major contributor and if we need more than one hour uh, per year perhaps uh, one week would be a good way to start earth hour every saturday thank you that from richard okay on to our main topic this morning we're joined uh, on the line by alex lam uh, chairman of the hong kong patients voices and uh, we're also hoping to be joined uh, shortly by uh, Dr. Ivan Hung, who's a clinical professor at the Faculty of Medicine at uh, Hong Kong U and a government advisor. And uh, later on, we should be joined by uh, David Lam, who's a Legislative Council member for the medical and health sector. Um, OK, um, a- Alex Lam, good morning to you and thanks for joining us. So um, what do you think of this uh, campaign? I mean, is this the right way to go to try to recruit, uh, well, initially from UK? And why do you suppose UK was chosen first? Is that because uh, there are so many like uh, Hong Kong medical students uh, currently studying there? Well, um, I, I think this move is um, a little bit uh, surprising because uh, it never happened before. Uh, but I, I, I cannot criticize it because... Uh, Recruiting overseas doctors to work in Hong Kong is the right way because we see an exodus of doctors leaving the, the classic system. Either they, they migrate to other countries or they, um, they, they, private, uh, they go to private practice. Um, so, um, um, but when I say uh, it is surprising because uh, it is uh, uh, something that uh, you, you send the top management a team of top management of HA to go mm. uh, to the UK to, to try to recruit um, uh, doctors. Uh, whether they are still studying in the medical school or they have been practicing for years or uh, uh, even they are um, uh, 
specialist, having practicing for for over ten years or more. Um, we we haven't had this uh, opportunity to to uh, to 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 imagine how this could uh, result in uh, whether we we could uh, successfully recruit a um, certain number of uh, uh, doctors in Hong Kong. I, I haven't heard uh, from the um, uh, HA as to how many doctors they, they expect to uh, successfully recruit. Mm. Uh, but uh, recruiting is good. Mm. Uh, it is good, but. Uh, I think it will be a, a more economical way of uh, recruitment uh, by way of uh, um, uh, putting advertisement in, in uh, medical journals in the UK rather than um, sending a whole team of uh, top management. Mm. Um, and, and to do it face-to-face being so limited, how many cities, how many universities you're going to to, to visit is, is really a question. Yeah, we did I mean, uh, you imagine that Hong, the United Kingdom is so big we did invite the uh, hospital authority onto the program this morning uh, but they, they weren't able to uh, send anybody with the the notice that we gave them but uh, because yeah I mean that that is a good question that'd be good to know I think there are five medical schools in UK uh, that uh, are um, eligible for uh, the change in the rules on a registration of uh, medical personnel yeah. coming to work under this special registration, uh, special registration scheme, that uh, if they uh, come from uh, eligible universities and they work here in in Hong Kong for over five years in a private sector, um, they will be qualified to get the full registration to practice uh, uh, private. They, they qualify for. You said it's surprising. Um, it's, I'm not quite clear why you think it's. You, you think that this visit's been pitched at the wrong level. That you, you, there's no need to send someone so senior. Is, is that the reason why you think it's surprising? Well, surprising because uh, you send a, 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 a team of a top management. Imagine that. Uh, how much money you're going to spend for sending these people? Um, uh, uh, not to mention that uh, you know you, you have limited. Um, opportunity to seeing people in the UK. I mean, as I say, the UK is so big that uh, you, you you might have a very limited opportunity to see the real person face to face. You just you, you don't think it's necessarily productive to send such senior management that um, it's. I mean, surely from their point of view, they want to show that they're doing everything they can, and you send someone more senior, then maybe it it shows um, how how seriously uh, they're taking the recruitment of um, people from outside Hong Kong. Yes, because it, it, it never happened before. I mean, if it happened before, you spend a million dollars, two million dollars on on the expenses, and then you successfully recruit um, twenty, thirty, then then they worth the money. Uh, but it's, as I said, it's never happened before. So I, I can only say good luck to them. And of course, one of the biggest obstacles in, in recruiting uh, doctors to come back to Hong Kong is that they must work in the uh, public sector for five years. Is it? I believe that's the case, isn't it? Well, no, no, not not only this. Uh, I mean, as I say, under the special registration, if they come from the qualified universities, um, they will get the full registration if they work five years in the public sector. Um, uh, the public sector meaning the Department of Health, HA, and the two uh, universities with medical schools. So um, and another route is that uh, they can work uh, as uh, overseas doctors uh, under the limited registration scheme. That uh, you can work here under the, the limited registration scheme uh, forever, as long as you you know uh, wish to continue your your service in the private sector. 
Uh, I, I know some doctors who have been working here over 10, maybe 20 years uh, under the limited restoration scheme. Uh, but you have to renew uh, once every three years. But we, the medical council will usually approve uh, all, all these applications without any questions. Okay, uh, but there's still the, the fundamental issue that uh, you, the, the working in the public sector is if you're in um, if you're a medical graduate in Britain, you have other opportunities, and it's not Hong Kong's not the only place that's recruiting. You know, we've as I've seen adverts for Cantonese-speaking uh, doctors needed in North America as well. That um, coming back to um, work in uh, the conditions in the public hospitals in Hong Kong, it's not it's not sure necessarily that's going to be very attractive compared with other options. Well, I, I think that Dr. Cole, the, the, the chief executive of uh, HA, will have to tell honestly as to, um, you know, how this uh, um, um, medicine uh, graduate will, will have to face if they come working in Hong Kong. But as I say, you, you don't really have to work in HA. You, you can work in the two universities plus the, uh, the Department of Health. But since it is the, uh, the, the HA's uh, uh, um, effort to try to recruit, I presume that uh, he will recruit doctors to work in HA. So he must honestly tell the, the, the overseas doctors that uh, what, what kind of uh, you know uh, work they might face if they really you know uh, work in the the HA public hospitals, uh, whether they do uh, uh, medical consultation uh, or other medical care. Um, um, so it is something that the reality has has to be. Uh, informed to to the the, um, um, uh, the students or uh, doctors in, mm. in the UK. Do you, do you uh, know? Not, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I was saying. Do, do you know what usually happens? Because um, as we mentioned earlier, there are a lot of Hong Kong students uh, studying medicine in UK. I mean, when they graduate, uh, I mean, in normal circumstances, do they usually stay there and work there, or or or, or move somewhere else? Or? Well. Um, I, I can say for them, but uh, the UK is a different environment. Mm -hmm. uh, the living is, is relatively uh, easier than in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but the, in terms of salary, I, I was told that uh, Hong Kong, if you work in Hong Kong, you get a higher pay. Mm -hmm. uh, you get a better package uh, if you work in Hong Kong. And you might have a better opportunity if you are able to get a full restoration and work private. Uh, however, uh, in reality, you, you have to survive the first five years in the in the public hospital. Mm -hmm. This is really a, a reality test as to whether they can face it. Uh, and and if they are the HA is to recruit, they try to recruit um, specialists from the UK. That's another um, obstacle because once they become a, um, a specialist, meaning that they have been um, practicing for over ten. 10 years or more. So they would have uh, their families in the UK, and they have uh, their practice, they have their, their patients in the UK, um, they probably have a better living in the UK. Um, moving to Hong Kong is really uh, a, um, a question for them to, to start everything all over again. Mm. Um, um, so, yeah, it, it really depends. But do we necessarily have a shortage of uh, specialists in Hong Kong? I mean, the, the, there's a huge shortage at the front line, isn't there, frontline doctors? Is there a shortage in specialists as well? No, we, we don't have shortage in the, uh, specialists, but we have shortage of doctors and specialists in the public system. And, and that's why we have a, a very long waiting time for uh, people uh, attending the um, uh, special um, um, uh, clinics. 
because uh, they're, 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 uh, the specialists are living in the public system. The last week, last week we, we heard the news that uh, um, last year the HA lost uh, some 400 doctors just in a year. Um, although there are some, some, um, something like 500 uh, new graduates to refill the gaps, but it's only gaps in numbers. Uh, when especially leaves the HA, they, they take away uh, with their experience. So it is difficult to compensate with just the number of doctors filling the gaps. Mm. It's worth having a look at the uh, doctor numbers uh, um, in relation to the population, isn't it? Because uh, uh, Hong Kong has a ratio of two doctors per thousand, whereas uh, in Singapore it's 2.5. Same in Japan. The US is 2.6. UK, 3. Australia, 3.8. Um, so yeah. how, how have we got to the stage where uh, Hong Kong has uh, so relatively few doctors per head of population? Um, uh, well, we have a growing population in the past uh, 25 years uh, since the, um, uh, the turnover of uh, the government. Uh, but uh, also we have a, we, we have a, a migration of doctors situation mm-hmm. since uh, two three years ago um, but uh, luckily we have a very efficient system in the public that uh, mm-hmm. a doctor will, will see uh, 50 60 or even more number of patients per day so they, they sort of a large number of patients already uh, that um, but we, we have to think about in in future in, in um, seeing all the uh, migration of doctors to other countries that we have to think about um, having a third medical school in Hong Kong. I think it is something that uh, we should uh, uh, advocate in the next uh, few years because uh, if we plan earlier, then we can have this uh, new medical school uh, earlier. Because I can imagine or visualize that uh, in future, uh, doctors are not just um, uh, seeing patients. Uh, a doctor is not about uh, just um, medical knowledge. You have to combine the medical service with uh, technology, artificial intelligence, uh, database, etc. So I, I, I reckon that uh, the uh, science and technology university might be a good choice. Okay, but that's going to take time, isn't it? I mean, if they haven't even set up the medical school, that, that's why we have to. That's why we have to plan earlier. Because the general feeling is, as Hong Kong's population is aging, the um, the shortage of doctors is going to become even more serious, isn't it? Yeah, um, I just wonder. I mean, in terms of um, shortage of doctors in Hong Kong, there, there's two separate sizes. And what one is emigration or shortage of doctors in the public sector. One of the, one side, of course, is emigration doctors leaving and moving overseas. But um, the other side is um, doctors moving from the public sector to the private sector. But um, what I'm hearing from uh, some doctors is that the private sector can be quite difficult now as well. That uh, that um, some surgeries are closing, or you've seen these. Um, uh, these these group chain groups um, becoming more and more powerful, and um, uh, doctors not finding it so easy to work for that. So I, I wonder, is necessarily the private sector as attractive for moving out of the public sector as it used to be? Well, um, it, it's really hard to tell because um, there there is always a, um, um, a, a, a chance if you go private. If you work hard, you can get a lot of money. If you have a very good reputation, you you, you get well paid. Um, so it really depends. But I I I I can say that uh, if you have um, this uh, surgery service 
um, um, suspended. Um, sometimes it is not because of the shortage of doctors, but uh, because of shortage of nurses. Because um, um, we we have a, a, a huge number of dropping of the nurses in Hong Kong. Uh, again, migration because of the, the qualification of nurses are, are all welcome in other uh, developed countries. So they they can get the same pay, they can get a better living, um, easier on the on the job. Um, so it's another scenario that uh, we have to face uh, losing of the, the nurses uh, from Hong Kong. Um, but um, in private sector, I think if you work hard, you can you re, um, it should not be a problem. Uh, and but there's a transformation uh, because the, the medical group is, is growing stronger and easier that we see uh, 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 um, nowadays. Yeah, the medical groups are generally, if you're in the private sector, it's surely it's less attractive to be working for a medical group. You're, um, you, you don't have the same independence as if you're, if you're, you're in practice yourself. Well, it depends whether you want to be employed or you want to have your own practice. Right. Uh, it, it's really your choice. Okay. Um, let's go back to the issue of uh, the nurses, because you, you raised that just now. That's a, that's a very good point. I think from the hospital authority figures, the... Um, Attrition rate of uh, nurses is, is even higher than doctors. Attrition rate of nurses is something like 11%, whereas doctors is only 7%. Um, and you mentioned emigration. Of course, um, uh, traditionally, I mean, for a long time, and uh, if you became a nurse in Hong Kong, it was much easier to move overseas. And um, there's, um, there's not really very much you can do about that, is there? Indeed. Uh, because of the training of nurses in Hong Kong is so good that uh, you, you do five years uh, in the university, you get qualified, you, you go um, straight to the, the hospital to, to carry out your service. Whereas in other countries, um, uh, nurses may only receive a training of three years in university. So, so relatively, Hong Kong nurses are more popular than, than other developed countries. So, um, yeah, that, that's why we see, again, the, the exodus of nurses um, from the uh, 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 public sector. But again, we, we have about two to 3,000 new, uh, newly trained uh, nurses to join the market. Uh, yet, we, we, we still have a shortage of uh, um, uh, uh, a few thousand. So, so uh, I think it, it may take years to, to uh, regain the position uh, as before. So two to three thousand, you're not saying two to three thousand a year, are you? Uh, yeah, two to three thousand newly uh, graduate nurses. So, in Hong Kong. So we, do, we do produce huge numbers of nurses every year? Yes, we have about 16 uh, schools in Hong Kong uh, teaching nursing. So we're not uh, short no. of nursing graduates. It's the problem is to persuade them to stay in Hong Kong. It, it may take years to, to recover because uh, we are losing a lot of uh, nurses in Hong Kong, I can tell. And, and um, you know, two to 3,000 per year uh, still insufficient. For, for the next uh, two to three years. OK, uh, email here from uh, listener Neil says, uh, Hong Kong uh, has always seemed to have a lack of doctors. Uh, is this because the medical profession wish to maintain standards or prevent people entering their profession just to keep uh, fees and earnings high? 
Hong Kong universities train very few doctors and only seem to train students with IB scores of 42 or above. The UK will take students with IB scores of 36. Is it uh, Hong Kong's academic snobbery that prevents Hong Kong from training enough of its own doctors? If Hong Kong continuously takes freshly trained doctors from the UK, the UK medical colleges will take uh, less and less students from Hong Kong as they will see their training spaces wasted as the UK is also short of doctors. We at Hong Kong can do better. We should double or even treble our own training capacity and take students with good social skills as well as good academic skills from IB scores of 36 and above train and meet our own needs uh, first. Um, uh, uh, how about that point, um, Alex Lam? If uh, Hong Kong yeah. takes uh, too many doctors... I mean, the UK is also short of medical staff, isn't it? So they probably well, might not be too happy if uh, too, many, <laughs> too many graduates are, um, are moving to Hong Kong and moving back to Hong Kong? Well, I, I think it's a, a very interesting point that uh, this, this uh, uh, audience uh, made, mm. that, uh, yes, UK may, may con uh, you know, try to take the less uh, students from Hong Kong in reality, that, uh, yeah, it's a waste of uh, uh, resource, mm. uh, training them and, and they go away. But again, uh, doctors uh, is a profession that uh, every, every developed country will, will try to recruit. UK is recruiting doctors from Southeast Asia, uh, from uh, uh, anywhere. Hong Kong is doing the same thing. So it is kind of commodity. It's all welcomed by um, uh, every country. Only if you can pay that you can recruit them. But, but uh, again, this is something that we, we, we Hong Kong faces, that uh, every time we need doctors, we have to recruit from overseas. So why, why not we, we establish a, uh, our own uh, um, medical school, a uh, third medical school, to train our doctors by ourselves. But by doing this, we, we have to uh, establish a, a new medical school. We have to plan for at least 10 years. And we also have to build a new uh, teaching uh, hospital next to the university um, to, to let them you know, uh, get the experience before graduation. Okay. Okay. Um, we're also now joined uh, on the line by uh, Ivan Hung, who's a clinical professor at the Department of Medicine at the uh, Hong Kong U Faculty of Medicine. Uh, good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. So um, I know that uh, you are involved in, in this recruitment drive uh, to attract uh, medical personnel, medical students uh, from the UK to come and work uh, in Hong Kong. Um, it, it seems a, a pretty uh, interesting prospect. I mean, what, what, how, how do you expect that it'll go? What, what are your expectations? Well, I, I think there are two streams uh, who will be interested, of doctors trained in the UK who will be interested in uh, returning to Hong Kong to work. Uh, the first stream probably is those who just graduated, uh, who have just finished their foundation one year uh, and would like to come back and uh, get the training in Hong Kong, uh, both in the so-called basic and the high training uh, in the specialties. Uh, and that probably will be the, the major stream uh, that who would like to come back before they start training uh, in the UK. Uh, the other stream, of course, is to that they have already completed the basic and the higher training and would like to join the health system in Hong Kong uh, as a specialist. Uh, and thereby, they could probably so-called bypass the so-called six years of training uh, and then return to Hong Kong and uh, join the system 
uh, without having to take the licensure exam and then uh, completing the five years uh, serving at the hospital authority. So there are the two major streams of uh, uh, graduates or doctors that we would like to uh, perhaps uh, recruit. But I think you were suggesting the first stream is, is there's more more likely to get recruits on the first stream, fresh graduates, right? Than, uh, Indeed, yes. And is that because consultants already um, are already um, well established in the UK, and you may have your family there? Absolutely. And so, if they are specialists already, you know, well established in the UK, they they already tra- well trained, and they probably already received a consultantship that is unlikely they come back and join the system at that stage. Whereas, if you are in, you know, um, just completing the foundation one, uh, and you do, and then you know, um, have not yet received the training, uh, and perhaps it's a bit more difficult to find a training post in the UK, then you will definitely consider coming back and get trained in Hong Kong. So so this is aimed at uh, mostly Hong Kong students who've gone to the UK uh, to study medicine and uh, coming back to Hong Kong. Um, so, uh, like, uh, obviously coming home, for coming back to Hong Kong. So language ability, how much is language ability a factor in this? Because uh, most graduates from who study overseas, they, they receive their education uh, from primary school, secondary school in Hong Kong. So they are, uh, you know, their family, most of them will be based in Hong Kong, so they will be mm. fluent in Cantonese. Mm. So mm. that wouldn't, wouldn't be a problem. Okay. Uh, will they be able to handle, you know, like complex medical terms if they've uh, done all their study in UK? Um, we basically use uh, English uh, mm. as, the, as our major language mm. in uh, in you know in in, in, in teaching and also in uh, examination and uh, communication within the, the you know the um, uh, you know the, the doctors and, and 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 also with the students so yeah. so basically uh, language will not be a problem and and you don't have to use complex language if you communicate to your patients um, you know um, we try avoiding that as well in fact so basic simple Cantonese will be able to communicate well with Okay, thanks. Um, yeah, Ivan Hung, I know you, you, you've just joined us. I hope you'll be able to stay with us uh, uh, for a few more minutes. We have to take a break now for a short news sure. summary and a, and a couple of announcements, uh, and we'll be right back. <music> news summary with Andrew Shirovsky. Thank you, Jim. Hong Kong's two power companies say the formula used to calculate electricity prices means it will take some time for lower fuel costs to reflect in consumers' bills. CLP has called off an increase in the fuel charge next month, while Hong Kong Electric will increase its charge. Police in the U.S. city of Nashville say a young woman has shot dead six people inside a school. Three of the victims were pupils. Police say the 28-year-old killer, who was a former pupil, was shot dead by police. The White House press secretary, Corrine Jean-Pierre, said President Biden would again ask Congress to support legislation for stronger gun control. The Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has postponed a controversial judicial reform bill which has provoked months of mass protests and a general strike. Mr. Netanyahu claimed that an extremist minority was tearing Israel apart. The country's trade unions called off a one-day general strike after the address. We'll have more news at 10 o'clock. After years of dedication, we hope to continue our splendid lives even after retirement and provide nourishment for ourselves and our families. 
The HKMC annuity plan helps turn your accumulated wealth into a stable, lifelong income stream. Call 2512-5000 to learn more. The product involves risks. The plan is subject to terms and conditions. Employees covered by the minimum wage ordinance are entitled to receive the minimum wage, regardless of their mode of employment. From the 1st of May 2023, the statutory minimum wage is raised to $40 per hour. Employees with disabilities can opt for a productivity assessment and receive their wages accordingly. Employees and employers should know the minimum wage ordinance. For details, call 2717-1771. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. And welcome back to Backchat with Danny Gittings and me, Jim Gould. And this morning we're talking about a campaign to attract medical staff from overseas to work in Hong Kong. Uh, it starts off uh, with the United Kingdom this coming weekend where there are, are talks and um, also the, the HA Chief Executive Tony Coe is attending an, an event in London to explain how overseas doctors can practice uh, in the UK and there'll be a recruitment day for medical students, uh, interns and trainees as well as uh, specialists. Um, uh, we have with us uh, Dr Ivan Hung who's a clinical professor at the Department of Medicine at uh, University of Hong Kong and um, also uh, joining us is uh, Dr David Lam who's the Legislative Council member of the Medical and health uh, sector. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Lam, just before we come to you, um, and we were just talking to Ivan Hung a few minutes ago, and I know, uh, know Dr. Hung uh, has to leave uh, fairly soon. Um, but um, w w as we were saying in the conversation earlier, um, Hong Kong's got to be competitive, hasn't it, to attract these medical personnel because there's a shortage of doctors in many other parts of the world, including UK. Um, Ivan Hung, do you think the, the package on offer is going to be attractive enough to to bring uh, the personnel back to Hong Kong? Well, I think the, the package so far is, is attractive. Uh, the other thing I think, uh, one thing is, is much more important perhaps is from the individual doctors themselves that they, the family are based in Hong Kong. So they are very much pulled by, you know, that uh, the, the family factors that they would like to come back to Hong Kong to work, to work and also to serve the people in Hong Kong. Um, and, and many of them actually grow up in, in Hong Kong. So uh, I think the family factors uh, is, is much more important. Mm. Uh, the other thing, of course, is that the uh, uh, one thing that could perhaps be even better is that if the uh, completing after the six year training, that if the you know the, the number of years staying uh, to stay in Hong uh, to stay in under the HA system is, is shorter. Uh, you know, if it could be reduced from like five years to, to like three years. Mm then probably that will be even more attractive. But the, uh, as I've said, the most important thing is the family factor that will attract the individual doctors to come back home. You have a bit of a dilemma here, don't you? Because the um, most important reason to get them to Hong Kong is because of the shortage of uh, doctors in the, in the hospital authority. Um, but at the same time, the disincentive is that they have to do this compulsory work. So um, it, you, it, it'd be better for Hong Kong to have them in the um, hospital authority for five years. But at the same time, as you're saying, right, that um, if you reduce the period, you, you might encourage more to come. Yeah, that, that's a dilemma, definitely. Uh, the important thing is that the, the flexibility, because already they have received, if they are, you know, if they come back after the uh, Foundation 1, then they will have to stay 
uh, they have to be trained for six years. Mm. And then if you add on the five years, that will be 11 years. Mm. So if you have the flexibility that, you know, if you have six years plus, you know, three years, then, you know, it will be much more attractive. You know, if under 10 years, then they could either stay in under the system or they could, you know, they could, um, they could move over to the private. So that, that flexibility will be important. To be more uh, the other thing, of course, is to important is to create more consulting posts. If you create more senior posts, then that means that they have a more, uh, you know, potential to, uh, to to be promoted to senior posts. Then again, that will be much more attractive. So these other, you know, um, incentives will be important to attract them to stay in the hospital authority and not just bound by like you know the five years. Okay. All right. Well, thanks very much for uh, joining us on the program this morning. Thanks for your time. Uh, uh, Dr. Ivan Hung there, clinical professor in the Faculty of Medicine at uh, Hong Kong U. Um, um, uh, Dr. David Lam, thank you and good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so w what are your expectations for this uh, recruitment campaign? Now, recruitment is one thing, but more importantly is to retain staff in the public health care sector. Mm. Uh, you understand that the attrition rate has been quite high recently. Yes. And so the hospital authorities must first understand why staff are leaving instead of just you know, trying to get more people coming in. If you don't stop people leaving, it doesn't really work, no matter how many guys you, you get from abroad or from mainland China. Mm. Now, as far as that um, uh, recruitment is concerned, of course I hope they can attract enough people. But then... Uh, we must also understand that those doctors working in UK or other parts of the world who are ready to come back to Hong Kong would be doctors who have some years of experience. And then they might have their own family there. They have a career plan. I'm not quite sure how effective it is to attract them to leave their uh, work behind and come to Hong Kong. Of course, I hope they can be successful. You talk to the younger doctors, I mean, like the senior health officer who are still under the first two years of basic training after graduation, that may be more sensible. But then many of them have their own career plan. And during their senior internship, many people have already got job offers. And if I got the job offer that I've been thinking about for some years during my undergraduate years, I would probably think, why, well, why shouldn't I just try out and see how it goes? Yeah. So again, that may not be too successful in attracting too many people to invest, if you look at that light sure, um, sure. this way. Sure. So we're talking about undergraduates, and if they are undergraduates, who are basically Hong Kong people who went abroad to study, then yes, probably they, if you give them an offer to become home after they graduate, uh, they would probably be more... You, you, you mentioned uh, it's also uh, um, actually um, Dr. Lam. There's quite a bit of uh, interference on the line. Um, um, is Alex Lam still with us? Yes, I'm here. Alex, oh, oh, okay. Perhaps um, um, perhaps I'm just talking to the producer in the control room now. Perhaps we can try calling uh, Dr. David Lam back and get a better connection. There's a little bit too much interference on the line, but but um, yeah, um, Alex Lam. So, um, what sort of support do you think? 
the medical personnel would need uh, coming back to Hong Kong if they don't have uh, families here, if they don't have that family connection? Well, I think the living uh, is, um, is um, one of the, the, the most difficult um, things that they have to deal with if they are coming uh, from overseas. Mm. Because uh, the, the the rent is so high that uh, they can, you know, it, it's very high, take up a high portion of their salary. Um, so um, uh, perhaps the, the HA will will consider um, providing quarters to to those doctors um, as long as they work in the the public system. That they will uh, resolve a, a huge problem for them. Uh, the other thing is um, to to consider a um, incentive scheme that um, uh, make sure that if they work a longer time in Hong Kong, they get a promotion, they get um, a better benefit, um, and of course, uh, currently the HAs uh, provide uh, benefits to their um, to staff uh, by supporting their mortgage um, mortgage loan uh, by. Uh, uh, lesser or zero uh, interest rate. So it's kind of incentive that they will keep the staff working uh, in, in the HA. So I think the same same thing may um, uh, provide to, to overseas doctors if they chose to come to work in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, thanks. We have uh, Dr. David Lambach. Good. Hello. Hello. Reconnected. <laughs> yes, great. Okay. Yeah. You, yeah, you were saying earlier, so it's also important to retain staff as well as just, yes. as well as attracting friends. Why do you suppose it is that uh, that so many doctors, uh, uh, 400 doctors last year, why, why have so many doctors left the system, do you think? Well, I actually did a survey some months ago. Uh, the biggest reason why people are leaving is because of the workload. Mm. It's overwhelming mm. and lots of younger staff are burnt out by the overwhelming workload. So we do not stop that uh, amount of work. If you do not reduce the amount of work, you really can't stop people leaving. Mm. And when more people leave, then those remaining will have even more work to do. So it's a vicious cycle. Yes. So unless you stop the vicious cycle, otherwise we can't really reduce too much yeah. staff. Yes. So that's for one. And for two, many staff who left uh, reported that they do find a very bad relationship between the management and the frontline staff. Mm. So that's something the hospital authority has to improve on. Mm. And that has been there for many, many years. That frontline staff don't think, don't feel that they are, they are uh, an asset of they. They don't feel they are considered an asset by the hospital authority. So it's something I think the management should spend some more time on. Mm. You're saying that's not a new problem. That's been there for many years. Yeah, exactly. So has it particularly worsened, or I mean, and what, what 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 is the root of it? Is it just hospital? What you would categorise as hospital authority mismanagement? I think it's a cultural problem. Uh, the communication between the frontline staff and the management is not good, and then I really don't understand what happened to. Like recently, there is an issue about physical therapy and occupational therapist training because. The, the universities will be waived of the, the fees they pay to the hospital authority for training under graduate students. So staff will still have to do the training of these students as well as the clinical work. But what the hospital authority told the staff is that because there's no funds, so in two years' time, some staff might have to be dismissed because of that matter. Now, this is something quite ridiculous. I mean, it's not a lot of money, and if you just tell the staff, don't worry, 
you have to do the training because it is our future stuff. But then, although we are having less funding, we will find funding ourselves. So just uh, don't worry, just stay, stay behind. We won't dismiss any person. So it's still like one same message, but it's how he puts it. But hospital authority has uh, the habit of putting it in a very negative manner and putting the blame on frontline staff. So that's what happens. So people leave. So you, if this has been going on for a long time, it's not a yes. pro- problem with any one administrator. It's something about the, the overall structure. Well, it's not proper. It's probably not from the structure. But who who's got promoted to those positions? They they have to think twice of who to promote and what to train and how to train them in dealing with people. Just in terms of the the workload and the vicious cycle, how do you think it will be possible to break that? If you are able to retain more staff and in a short period of time employ quite some more staff at the same time, then uh, apparently you may have an increase in the number of people working together. So you may think that reduces the workload, but I don't think that works. Because if you, are, if you have too many new staff, you have to train the new staff and that's an extra work. All right. So what you have to do is part to reduce the workload in the hospital authority. And we understand that we are now dealing with a lot of follow-up cases, stable cases, which can be offloaded to the community and be seen by general practitioners or the family doctors. So the correct way is how to work with the extra hands in the community. And we actually have a lot of doctors in the community who have extra power to deal with all these cases. So it's a purchasing of services from the healthcare, I mean the private, private healthcare sector, so that eases the workload in the hospital Okay, all right. Well, thank you very much for uh, speaking to us uh, on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, that was Dr David Lamb, a Legislative Council member of the uh, medical and health uh, sector. I apologise about the, uh, the not ideal uh, phone connection. Um, thanks also very much to Alex Lamb, uh, Chairman of Hong Kong's uh, Patients' Voices. And uh, earlier on we heard from uh, Dr Ivan Hung, a clinical professor at the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Hong Kong. Um, stay with us. We'll be back uh, with our second uh, topic in just a moment. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Christine Choi, the Secretary for Education. Congratulations on the 95th anniversary of RTHK and many wishes for its future success. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. And for the last uh, 10 minutes or so of this morning's programme, uh, we're turning our attention to our second uh, second topic of the morning, and that is um, we're talking about a new adoption programme for abandoned exotic pets, including uh, lizards, geckos and turtles. Um, this is being run by an organisation called the Hong Kong Society of Herpetology Foundation. 
Um, uh, one of its uh, roles, of course, is to convince uh, people who are involved uh, in the adoption programme that uh, they must understand that ownership is a lifetime commitment and various uh, other organisations are always uh, pressing that message to anybody who owns uh, any sort of pet or, or, or animal. Um, to talk more about this, we're joined uh, on the line by Karina O'Carroll, uh, Animals Asia's uh, Animal Welfare Education Man Manager. Karina, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, thanks very much uh, for joining us. Um, so, um, first of all, um, how, how big a problem are we talking about here with, uh, with pets, um, as I say, uh, you know, geckos and turtles and those kind of pets um, just being abandoned? Um, I think over the last couple of years, um, according to Hong Kong Herpetology, who I have had discussions with, they have seen a marked increase in the number of inquiries that they receive on a daily basis going up from, for example, one um, abandonment inquiry to up to six or eight now almost every day. Um, I think with sort of the term exotic pets, people perhaps don't consider the fact that some of these species are in fact endangered or vulnerable. Um, and so they may be listed under what's called CITES, which looks mm -hmm. at all the sort of wild species. And so if um, different species are listed on CITES, it can be very challenging to um, export them, obviously, as part of the family, um, should people be relocating. So that's definitely become an issue over the last couple of years. Um, but also as well, I think just the general um, level of knowledge. I think a lot of these species that people decide to keep as exotic pets um, can be quite challenging um, to actually give good care and husbandry to within a home environment. Um, they have lots of special needs, um, just like any other pet, um, species-specific diets. And also in Hong Kong, if they um, have illnesses uh, or need to see a vet, they often need to see specialist vets, which can be quite costly. So I think, you know, um, really people need to really strongly consider, um, you know, the needs of these different individual animals um, and the lifelong commitment that it is to take care of them. And obviously taking care of them within a home environment as well can be quite challenging. Um, so really lots of things to consider before people should decide to get these animals as pets. Mm. Uh, just, sorry. Sorry, well, yeah, just to say for, just, just quickly for context, uh, CITES, that's a Convention on International Trade in Exotic Species. Is that, that's is that correct. Correct, correct. I would like to also draw attention to some a report that was done actually last year, um, which would be very interesting for anybody considering perhaps, um, you know, um, acquiring an exotic species as a pet. Um, the ADM Capital Foundation, which is another organization in Hong Kong, in May last year released a report uh, called Wild, Threatened and Farmed, and it's to do with Hong Kong's invisible pets which highlights the scale and nature of the exotic pet trade in Hong Kong, which is actually quite um, quite huge and growing and unfortunately continues because of demand for these exotic species as pets. So there's quite a number of issues of where these pets are being sourced from, how they're ending up in Hong Kong, um, how they're cared for within Hong Kong, and then also within our homes as well. So it is actually quite a, a large um, issue um, for these species of animals. 
Yes, I think we covered that report on Backchat and uh, the, um, the, the the program information that was still be in our archive. Um, I'm just um, doing the maths on what you, you're saying that you, you're hearing that there are six to eight reports of abandonments uh, a week now. I mean, that, dude, it, it, that looks like that's uh, you do the maths, that's like 200 a month or, or yeah, several well, thousand a year. You know, I think the, the NGOs that are obviously dealing with abandonment of all species, there is limited capacity and limited space. So obviously promotion of the message of adoption um you know is really important um for many of these organizations they're continuing to have to adopt animals out to obviously suitable homes to then make space for the continued abandonment inquiries they're receiving at the moment so um again it kind of loops back to the the responsibilities before you decide to get these animals you really have to consider the financial aspect the life planning changes to your lifestyle and relocation um you know these animals that you've decided to take on the care and responsibility of, you know, have to be part of those plans and future planning. And a lot of these animals are illegally imported, is that right? Well, there is definitely a trade in um, exotic species, both legal and illegal. Um, but one of the main issues is the sort of what I would call sort of track and traceability. So when these animals arrive in Hong Kong through the pet trade, you know, um, and then they go either they're purchased as pets or they're re-exported to other locations, um, tracking and tracing each individual animal, considering that those thousands imported into Hong Kong, I think the figures were nearly 800,000 of these exotic species arriving in Hong Kong um, over the last couple of years. Um, you know, where are they all going? Where are they ending up? What's happening to them? Um, so the sort of responsibility with the trade um, and also the codes of practice that traders should be following, uh, enforcement of the legislation that we do have, um, all needs to continue and, in my view, be improved as well to make sure that these animals and species aren't being lost once they come to Hong Kong. Um, you know, people really need to consider what's actually happening and, and their participation in this trade in these exotic and also endangered species, and um, whether it be legal or illegal means that they procure them. Oh, I, I read that one of the problems is that when people buy buy these um, exotic pets, they often they they've, they've just been born and they're, they're they're tiny, and then they they grow into a much larger size than um, yeah. the owners ever expected. Yeah, um, I think that's definitely one issue. And then also the, the lifelong commitment, I suppose you could call it. You know, many of these species, uh, some of the parrot species can live up to 100 years. Some of the turtles are 100 years. They may outlive their guardians, right? you know. So I've factored in my turtles into my own will, you know, because they live for a long time. So it's not just a short-term commitment. It should be a commitment for the entire duration of the animal's life. And you're also mentioning that they often need uh, specialist vets, which can be very expensive. Yeah, correct. So there are numerous um, veterinary clinics in Hong Kong that do cater to exotic species. Um, but obviously, you know, um, pet guardians, they need to make sure that they source those vets and obviously find the appropriate vets for the different species that they have. But also as well, bringing their exotic species to a vet if, and, and recognizing the signs of illness. That's something that's also quite challenging with a lot of these species is that they can hide illness and mask illness quite well. So understanding what a healthy um, species of that animal is and being able to recognize the signs of illness is also something that needs to be really um, investigated and researched by potential owners of these animals. Um, because turtles, for example, you know, they're not as um, 
They don't display uh, discomfort or pain or suffering as easily, perhaps, as, say, a dog. Um, and so, you know, recognizing those things in these species is also critical and making sure that if something displays that they are taken to an appropriate vet. Do you find there's much of a problem with uh, some of these species being uh, uh, released into the wild and having an effect uh, on the, the native fauna? I think definitely it does have an impact on the, the existing biodiversity that we have mm. in Hong Kong, the native species that we have. Turtles in particular seem to be quite um, a big issue. Also some species of birds and fish um, that do um, get released um, through different, uh, for different reasons um, at different locations within Hong Kong. We usually tend to hear about these when uh, organizations such as the SPCA get called in to help um, turtles, for example, that are freshwater being released into the ocean, um, as an example from a couple of years ago. So, yes, definitely it happens. Um, there are some species that are obviously purchased in the markets and then released thinking that it's the kind thing to do, but obviously being exotic species or non-native species, it does have a huge impact on the existing native species that we have. So really animals that are not native to Hong Kong should not be released into our environments um, unless it's done by a professional and they, you know, they follow protocols and procedures. If animals are to be re-released back into the wild, it's not something that should be done by general members of the public. I was also wondering about immigration. I mean, we, we've heard lots of stories from cat and dog owners about that sometimes they end up paying more for the, to, 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 try, to ship their pets and for, the, for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, whether the, this might also be behind some of the abandonment. Well, absolutely. I would say in regards to exotic species, they might need specialist crates. They might need temperature-controlled environments. Uh, they may need special permits and licenses, especially if they're um, CITES-listed species as well. So, again, another, you know, um, thing to consider is, you know, if you are to export your pet as part of your family, if you are relocating, you may come across some quite significant hurdles in doing so um, because many of these species, it is quite challenging to take them from one place to another. And also, if you're relocating to another country, there are obviously um, uh, rules and regulations in place for um, uh, biosecurity in regards to allowing different species of animals into the new country. So um, Australia and New Zealand being notoriously difficult even for dogs and cats. Um, exotic species have another layer of difficulty added on top. So definitely it's a challenge. And if, they, if the pets were legally imported into Hong Kong um, in the first place, would you ever be able to get permit? Would, could, they, could they ever become legal for um, taking with you to another country or is that being possible? I think it's quite challenging. My understanding would be um, there's definitely a lot of paperwork that's required. So having some source of where the pet has come from um, or where, unfortunately, it may have been purchased, um, you know, something like that may be enough, but it may not be, um, you know, depending on the source of origin of the animal. Again, that could be another um, requirement. And if you don't have the exact source of where the animal has come from, that could prove to be challenging for export. So what, what kind of um, education programs are there available for people who want to, uh, you know, o own an exotic pet? Well, I would absolutely highly recommend that anyone considering an exotic species of sort of amphibian or reptiles um, would contact Hong Kong Herpetology. Mm -hmm. They are the first and only registered charitable organization in Hong Kong related to these species. They, I know at the moment, are absolutely swamped with many animals that are waiting for adoption. Um, and so definitely if anyone is considering um, adding um, any of these sort of exotic species to their family, to definitely reach out to 
Hong Kong Herb. They also do have training programs um, and talks and webinars and many different information seminars to basically educate people perhaps before they really decide to make the commitment to one of these animals to, um, to learn more about the care needs um, and the, the different aspects that they should be considering before they decide to adopt. Okay, excellent. Okay, thank you very much for speaking to us uh, this morning. Karina O'Carroll there, Animals Asia's uh, Animal Welfare Education Manager. Uh, thanks to our listeners and thanks very much to you, Danny. We've got the news summary coming up, followed by brunch.